Hi, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of 20-something Trials. I'm your host, Gabby Denicio, and as always, I am so, so excited to have you here with us today. I hope so far you are having the greatest Wednesday, regardless of what is going on in your world, whether you are gearing up for the semester being over or you're continuing to work from home. More than anything, I hope you're continuing to be safe, be healthy, and be with those that you love. As you guys know, I am um, a high school English teacher, so we are in, I'm in North Carolina, um, and recently Governor Roy Cooper made the call that we would not be going back to school, which was 110% to be expected, but still like just this weird, crazy idea that like my first year is not technically over, but my first year in the classroom is over. So it's it's been interesting to kind of grapple with that idea as well. Um, but, you know, I am doing my best to stay positive and, you know, focusing on the good and focusing on what's in my control. And I know that my my kids are safe, my family is safe, and truly at the end of the day, right, like that's that's all that matters. Um, so yeah, guys, th- things have been good over here. Same old, same old. I am so happy. The weather has been beautiful. So I'm trying to get out as much as I can and just, you know, keep myself um, sane, as I'm sure you guys are as well. But yeah, every everything has been good so far. And, you know, I I hope as I am, you are too, just focusing, like I said, on the good, what we can control and doing all of the things that bring us happiness no matter no matter what it is. Like I said, for me, that's walking. It's also staying active, um, keeping that hour when I wake up to myself, all all of the things that just, you know, bring us happiness. I think we need to be really holding on to those things now. But Enough, enough of the COVID talk. I, we are not focusing on that at all today. But as always, I just wanted to give, you know, that little, I want to acknowledge it just to make sure you guys know I'm here. I'm with you. I'm thinking about you and your families as well. Let's talk about this week's episode. I had the opportunity to sit down with Emma Way, who is the current managing editor at Charlotte Agenda. She served as the editor-in-chief previously of Charlotte Magazine when she was only 23 years old. Before that, she graduated from Washington College in 2016, which is a small liberal arts college in Chestertown, Maryland. So Emma is not as new, I guess, to the... Charlotte seen anymore, but she was she's not from here. So for her to have made this incredible career so far in journalism, um, reporting on the city news in the way that she has is absolutely, absolutely tremendous. Some other really cool stuff about Emma. She's been to over 35 countries and she is currently in the process of buying a house, which you know in your like early to mid-20s, that seems like this insurmountable task, but she's doing it. She's the bomb, and I'm super, super excited for you guys guys to get to know Emma and learn more about who she is. Um, For some background, Emma and I met when I was interning at Charlotte Magazine. 
She was the associate editor at the time, and I was her intern, so her and I worked really closely together and developed a great relationship, and I think you guys will see throughout this podcast just how how genuine she is, but also she is she's a competitor. She's an achiever, and I think all of those really great qualities and characteristics of her come out in this podcast, so I'm really excited for you to hear it. Before we get into this show, I want to remind you that if you have not already, if you could just take a moment out of your time today to leave a review, subscribe, rate, whatever you have time for, whatever you're willing to do. I so, so appreciate. And if you want to get more of 20-something trials within your daily daily life, daily routine, whatever, go ahead and follow us on Instagram. We're just at 20-something trials. That's where I tend to hang out the most. I would love to see you guys there. But enough of me. Let's get into the episode. Okay, I lied, but I promise it's for a good reason. I have to talk to you about Buzzsprout today because there is truly no better time to start your own podcast than right now. What else are you doing, right? So whether you are looking for a new marketing channel, you have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have like your own version of a talk show, podcasting is probably the best way to go. It's easy. It's inexpensive. (coughs) We love. And it's a fun way to expand your reach online. Take it from me. I searched everywhere to make sure that I had the best podcast platform. And I can tell you that Buzzsprout is hand down the easiest and best way to not only launch, but promote and track your podcast. So you can be online and listed in all the major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all of the other ones just within minutes of finishing your recording. That's pretty baller. Podcasting truly isn't hard, but it's so much easier when you do have the right partners. And the team at Buzzsprout is so passionate about what they do and about helping you succeed. So I encourage you to join me and 100,000 podcasters who are already using Buzzsprout to get their message out into the world. If I have not convinced you yet, when you start your own podcast, you'll receive a $20 Amazon gift card. All you have to do to get that gift card is follow the link in the show notes to let Buzzsprout know that 20-something trial sent you. One more time for my girlies in the back, Buzzsprout is the easiest way to podcast. Now, let's get into the show. All right, Emma, so for those who aren't familiar with you or your work, who are you? Who is Emma Way? Well, that's kind of a deep question. Uh, it's, a, it's a very philosophical Saturday. <laughs> Um, well, I'm a journalist. Um, I have been in the industry uh, ever since I was in college, um, really started getting more into magazines when I was senior. Um, but I guess that doesn't really describe like me. Um, I would say that I am a Charlottean. I love the city of Charlotte. I love cities in general. Um, I love to be outside. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's me. Journalism, being outside, cats, cities travel. It's pretty much it. That's me. There you go. And now how long have you been in Charlotte? I moved down to Charlotte once I graduated college. So that was four years ago. It'll be four years in June. Okay. Do you feel finally, not finally adjusted, but do you feel like after four years, like you're really home now? Yeah. I feel like the first two years I was not a hundred percent sure if I was going to be in Charlotte long-term. Like it was great 
relatively affordable city to live in for a young professional. And I had some really good opportunities with the people at Charlotte Magazine that were um, really uh, welcoming to me right away, even when I was still in college. So it just felt like the right place to be at that time. But I, I wouldn't say I was like in love with the city yet. And then once I started going full time at Charlotte Magazine, that was when I just fell in love with the city. And I was like, okay, this really is where I want to be. Even then, I was like, not sure if it was forever, but I knew it was at least for a little bit. And then I would say that with the pandemic, it's made me feel even more sure that like, this is forever home. Oh, I love that. Because you're, are you the only one here from your family? Yeah, yeah. I'm the only one here. The closest member of my family is in Raleigh, uh, but everyone else is in DC, Maryland, Delaware. Del primarily Delaware is where my close, closest, like my immediate family is. Um, some in Chicago, all over the place. That's nice. I didn't realize you had somebody in Raleigh. That's like a comfortable, yeah, comfortable idea of like knowing that somebody is relatively close. Yeah, my wonderful Aunt Julie and Uncle Chris, shout out. They're, That's uh, awesome. Well, because we're the only ones in North Carolina. Um, really? Yeah, we've got people only in New York and then Florida. So we're kind of like in the middle. But no, like for a little bit, my cousin, um, he's not, he went to school in Boston but for a while he was thinking about going to UNC and I was like, Oh, that's, that's comfortable. Like it's a drive if he needs yeah. anything. And, um, I think it's like that sense of home when it's not like familiar territory just yet. Well, and I loved Charlotte for how easy it is to get around to other places like the, our international airport, even though right now it's so quiet, but usually it's has so many flights. American airlines goes everywhere. It's just mm -hmm. really for that to get to family. Yeah. And because you love travel, you have to be like, oh my gosh, this is such a plus. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's nice. And it's so close to the city. Like I grew up near Philadelphia airport and that airport is closer to Delaware than it is closer to the Philadelphia city. Oh, so that's funny. Airport is like 20 minutes. Well, and I have to, like, I've never thought about this with you, but as somebody who is new to an area working for the city magazine, I don't know if there's truly like a better way to get to know the city than being surrounded by majority people who are natives and then being able to immerse yourself in the food and drink scene um, and kind of just the the news and everything that's happening within Charlotte it, it kind of gives you like a really cool advantage yeah I feel like Charlotte magazine was a really good like crash course in knowing everything about the city because because I was the youngest member of that team for many years and I would take on literally any task before I, like before I was full time, I was just like, yeah, anything you have, like I, I did the top dentist list, as you know, and uh, top doctor, like all this random stuff, the best of the best, everything. And yeah. so you learn a little bit about all the different communities. And then once I went full time, I could sort of zoom in on some areas that I really liked. Um, because at the time I was working as a marketing professional um, full time for about two years before I started um, doing journalism like full time. Yeah. And I, I'm really excited to dive into that because you don't necessarily have this linear path. Um, you had to not, uh, not do odd jobs by any means, but it was kind of <laughs> no, like a few. So you had to do some odd jobs before you finally got to the place that you wanted. So I want to jump into that before we do that though, I want to kind of back up more so to 2016. You just graduate from college and you moved to Charlotte. What was that transition like from you going from college to post-grad? Man, that was a really hard um, transition. Um, so I actually moved to Charlotte for um, a former um, fling of mine. Uh, and so that that didn't go over very well. It didn't end up working out. Um, 
so that was really hard to make new friends while I was going through a breakup and also learning a new city and not finding my dream job right away. So I was working as a waitress um, at a pub. I was working as a temporary receptionist at a television station. And I was working as a freelance fact checker and writer for Charlotte Magazine before I found a job in marketing um, with a really great company um, that was selling books. Um, but when I moved here, I knew like no one except for my ex and his friends. And so, you know, suddenly you have no friends and you have to make new friends. Um, fortunately, I had a couple of people that I knew that I went to college with. I didn't know them very well in college, but they have become some of my closest friends. And through them, we've just like built this web of friends and they're still my closest friends. We have now during the pandemic, we have weekly Zoom calls on Wednesdays and I feel like we've grown even closer during the pandemic. So it's been, it was the slow build for a little bit. Um, I was also fortunate enough that um, one of my friends moved down here with me. So I did also have her, I, I shouldn't forget about her. She taught <laughs> me through a lot, um, but, but it was really hard because um, she didn't live in Charlotte for very long. She just sort of came down for a year. So it, it felt it felt alone at times, but I also, knew that I had made the right decision in moving to a city that had a lot more opportunities than Delaware. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine too, as soon as you moved down, and I don't know how quickly you guys broke up, but I'm sure in a way it's like the slap in the face of like, oh my God, what did I just do? I don't know. Was Did yeah. that ever cross your head or was it like, this is still yeah. the best decision? I definitely felt some regrets. I mean, it was no fault of his, um, but it, it, it if I did, wasn't under a lease, I probably would have went right back, you know, but the lease really kept me here and I'm really grateful that it did. I'm kind of a frugal person, so I didn't want to lose any money on a lease. I was like, I'm going to stick this out. Like I, I can be kind of hard headed. I'm a Taurus. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I stuck it out. There was definitely a, a couple moments of regret. Um, but overall, I mean, it couldn't have gone any better. Good. And so that was actually my next question for you is, you know, what is the most difficult part of that transition? Because majority of our listeners are between 18 to 24 years old. So you think about that, that's a really a big time of transition, whether you are going off to college or you're just entering the workforce. So for you, somebody who moved from their hometown to a new city, what was the most difficult part? Yeah. Um, for me, I've been pretty used to being away from family. Um, so as hard as that always is, that wasn't the hardest thing for me. I would say the hardest thing was um, just having a little bit more time, actually. Um, in college, you have all these clubs and you have like, you know, extracurriculars. And I also um, was working full time in college. So my life was had never been busier than it was in college. And you have, you know, these friends that are just sort of built in, like in classes and, and extracurriculars. And even in my I worked at a magazine in Delaware at the time. And so those friends were all just built in. In addition to, I only went to college an hour away from my hometown. So I still had my hometown friends. So it just sort of was this community that felt really natural. Um, and then when you come to Charlotte, you don't have that anymore. And you don't have like an easy way to make friends. So you have to like force it. it it's like kind of awkward sometimes because you're like game night, like with these people, yes. like really know, but you just have to force it in the beginning. And, uh, I mean, some beer doesn't hurt. Uh, liquid courage helped me a little bit. I joke it's like <laughs> dating. You're like dating for friends. So it's like, yeah, do you want to go grab a drink? Do you want to go do this? And you're like nervous. Like you don't want to like immediately overstep or you want to wait a few hours. It's very, it's a, it's a weird thing. 
it's very weird. I would say that that was the hardest part of just having like a lot of downtime to spend by myself and not, I'm just a very social extroverted person. And I, at that point was not very good at being alone. And so learning how to be alone was huge for me in that first couple of years and has paid off so much because it made me such a more confident, independent person than I was before. And it is, that's, that's something that's really important because I think, you know, like you just said, you had this web of people who were always there. You were a quick ride home to going kind of to starting over, which there's so much beauty in starting over, but it is, it's also really scary. And you have to learn this like newfound independence, which I'm sure pay, like you said, paid off dramatically for you in the long run. Yeah. Um, but what you said actually reminds me a lot of one of my girlfriends who she was very similar to you. Like she was always involved, whether that was in our sorority or she was always doing internships or multiple internships. She always took on like a heavy course load and she's a year older than me. So I remember her calling me one day after work and being like, I, it's five o'clock and I'm just going to go home. But she's like, I have so much time on my hands yeah. now, which yeah. is cool. You know, but marketing job, it was like nine to five and your work was over. And so I was like, what do I do with all this free time? I'm not used to it. Of course that's changed now because I'm in journalism. Um, that's not how it goes anymore. Um, which I like, I like being busy. Uh, but it was weird to fill time and figure out what are the things that make me happy beyond like being busy and working. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I want to talk to you about too, is like, Initially, what, what was it about journalism that drew you to the field? That's such a good question. I feel like I'm just a very competitive person. I'm a little hard-headed. And so when I went to college, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a journalist, having never written a story before in my life. But freshman year, I was like, I'm going to go join the college paper. And like, I'm, I'm kind of an arrogant jerk sometimes. And um, I mean, I'm like nice, but, you know, I'm kind of, kind of jerky. Um, so I went up to like the college advisor, like, very confident. And I was like, I'm going to be the editor in chief of this college paper. And when I'm a senior and she's like, okay, like I hadn't even written an article yet. And she judged me hardcore and she still tells the story all the time. Um, but I just, once I set my mind to it, I was, there was no way that someone was going to beat me at that. So I just decided that I was going to be good at it. And I was not that good at it <laughs> for a while. Um, I've read my old articles now and they're really bad. So good thing the confidence got me through that. <laughs> and so did you, did you major in journalism? No, there actually wasn't even a journalism major. I really went in blind. Like I said, uh, I was a political science major, um, probably also because I'm a competitive person. Um, and I was an anthropology minor, which I think is a huge help in um, being able to interview people. Uh, that's the number one skill I learned was just let people, uh, or just listen to people, let people, let other people talk and hear their experience. Um, so that, that was a huge thing that I learned from anthropology. Um, political science, I just have always been interested in politics and the way that governments work um, in the United States and around the world. So that was just really, because I, thought it was interesting. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Okay. But I mean, I think too, how much, how beneficial, like the combination of that major and minor can be for what you're doing right now. If anything, just to one, have an understanding of people and have an understanding, especially in an election year right now. And being a journalist, like, I feel like that's, those are two really important skill sets that I'm sure do wonders for you now. I feel very rusty on everything that I've learned in college, but yeah, I do think it's helped. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, did, wait, magic question. Were you the editor in chief of, Oh, I was. Yes. Your- <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun. So, okay. Now was Charlotte magazine. That was the first, um, professional journalism then that you did when you got to the city? So in the city, yes. Um, when I was a senior in college, um, I got to be the editor in chief and I was like, but I want more, like what's the next step? And so I got an internship at Delaware Today magazine. And then about one month into that internship, they actually had some staffing changes and um, one of their members retired. And so they suddenly had a position on the editorial team. And at that point I had finished most of my credits I was almost a part-time student, but I was just barely a full-time student to keep my um, scholarships. And so they offered me a 30-hour-a-week editorial assistant position. So it was um, like my unpaid, it was way better than my unpaid internship. So I took it. um, And so I was commuting back and forth between my college in Maryland um, to the magazine in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, so that was sort of my first professional magazine experience. And from that, I cold emailed the people at Charlotte magazine uh, because I wanted to move down there. And they actually started giving me some fact checking work before I even moved. So I was already working for Charlotte magazine while I was in college. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were working in, for the Delaware publication, then you were doing fact checking. Yeah. And then trying to graduate, right? Yes. Okay. Most of my classes were done at that point. So it was, uh, like school was like down here. Okay. You know, I don't know how to say this in, in words, (laughs) but you know, school took up very little of my time. It was like, I was so focused on work and like editor in chief and the fact checking and the magazines. So it really, I mean, like journalism really was your world then for, let's say that spring semester, if you had that traditional path. I was so ready to graduate. I didn't like now looking back, I wish I had enjoyed my classes a little bit more and just taken something for fun, but I was so ready to join the workforce way too ready. I've always been like way too ready and to move to the next step. I need to like, I've, I've been trying to like appreciate the moment a little bit more, but, uh, that, that was sort of my, my path there. And I was really grateful that the people at Charlotte magazine, um, even, email me back. <laughs> well, no, I absolutely agree because that's such like a hit and miss kind mm-hmm. of scenario, especially because you didn't have contacts, right? You said you cold emailed them. So, okay. You moved to Charlotte and you're still fact checking for them, but there's not a full-time gig yet, right? Yeah. So once I moved down there, um, basically the, from the beginning, they were like, you can fact check, get a feel for the type of journalism we do, um, you know, take it all in, read it. I'm sort of like in your internship too. I was like, you know, read all these stories and fact check them. And, um, and then once I moved down, because they don't really like to give assignments to people that aren't in Charlotte. It was once I moved down, then I got my first um, formal assignment. And it was, it was pretty big for my first one. It felt like, um, like this huge deal. And it was, it was, I mean, now it's not that big, but it was 1,500 words, which spent, felt huge to me. Then it was a travel piece to Saluda, North Carolina. So it's sort of, it, I was really interested in being a travel writer at that point also. So uh, that was just perfect first assignment for me. Okay. So what are you doing for work at this? Is this when you're waitressing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Okay. I actually, my first, te- technically my first job in Charlotte was, um, I was campaigning for the ACLU, like asking people for 
money on the streets. It was the worst nice. job of my life. And I quit after three weeks. <laughs> yeah, three weeks. And um, yeah, it was awful. And then, but that I met, I met some friends through there. So like you start building friends, even yep. from terrible jobs. And then I got the waitressing job and then I got another like temp job. And then I eventually got that marketing job, which was perfect. Cause then I could quit all of my odd jobs and just focus in on one thing. Plus the freelance writing. So how long did you freelance? Um, I freelanced from 2016 to 2018 when I started full-time there. Okay. So it took about two years then. That's yeah. There's a lot of persistence within those two years too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Find enough to keep coming back to me with assignments. <laughs> That's good though. So, okay. So at this point, um, when you finally make that jump to full-time, is this when you were the associate editor? Yeah, so I came in as the associate editor of Charlotte Magazine. There was a really good team there in place. Um, they had actually been talking to me about a possible position for, for a while then. Um, Michael Graff, who was a long time, um, or he had been the editor, executive editor there for like four or five years. And so once he stepped down, they knew that they had an open position. So I had sort of been, been tapped as a possible option for that and then um, got that in, in the spring of 2018 and started. Um, and then about two weeks after I started, another member of the team um, left. And then about two months after that, another member of the team left. So it was just me for about two or three months um, on the print editorial side. There was also Andy, who is the current executive editor of Charlotte Magazine, and he was our um, digital editor. So it was just Andy and I and you as an intern <laughs> working to put out the magazine. So I, again, got another crash course in um, how to how a magazine works. I had some really, really supportive past staff members that would help me out and give me advice on what to do, like Kristen Weil and, and Michael. Um, and so I just sort of made it work. And the idea at that point was still to hire a different editor-in-chief. We had had... The position posted and we were looking we had interviewed a couple people or I, I had actually interviewed so it was a unique situation looking for your own boss um, so I was doing that and uh, we had had some promising candidates but they weren't from Charlotte so they, they just didn't have the the, the knowledge of the city um, so none none totally fit the position um, and it wasn't my decision alone um, but eventually I just I just decided that I should apply as well um, given that I had been sort of doing a lot of the a lot of the legwork for a couple months, and so I threw my name in there, and I had a really supportive um, boss at the time, Tina, and she um, gave me the job. So it was really exciting um, to get that editor in chief position very fast, um, a totally unexpected, and it was pretty much my dream job. Uh, so it was a lot of happy tears. And I mean, truly, this is so major. And I don't know if, like, I want to make sure that, like, especially our listeners have an idea of how big of a deal this was, because you were, like you, like we said in the intro, you were 23 at the time. And for many people, that is like an average age. I just graduated college, and I'm just trying to get my feet wet, you know. And so for you, you had taken on and been afforded this awesome but kind of monstrous job as well <laughs> yeah there was a lot of therapy because it was very <laughs> overwhelming um in in the beginning and honestly up until when i left it was one of the most overwhelming jobs um just because there's like so much that i feel like a lot of people don't 
realize go into a magazine, you really need a staff of like five minimum editors. And we, at our most, were at three and then Andy on the digital side. So we had about four editors. Um, and it was a great team. We, we were really, we were really in a flow, but in the beginning, man, it was hard to just, for me to figure out how everything works and what are the deadlines. And there's just so much to consider from photos to, to design, um, which we, you know, we had a design team also, I wasn't doing that, but you know, you have to think about every little detail and it was a lot that goes into it. It's not just words on a page. Right. Right. So, okay. How long were you in that role for? Not that long. It was about, it was almost two years. It would have been two years um, in, well, yeah, almost two years. Yeah. And so I want to, I want to dive into those two years as well, because I feel like there's a lot that we could almost pivot with, but more so. Okay. So most importantly, you get the job and you're ecstatic, right? Okay. So (laughs) no, I, I can't, when you said 23, I, I'm 23 and I'm thinking of that role from what I knew about it. And I kind of want to cry. So (laughs) like a lot, I cried a lot of happy tears and I cried a lot of overwhelmed tears as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what was like the sum of your, your role as editor in chief of Charlotte magazine? Um, so there are a lot of leaders on a team that run a magazine. So my role was leading the print editorial content. So basically all of the words that go into the magazine. Um, but then it was also my responsibility to like talk to the art and design team to figure out what photos would go along with those words. Ultimately it's up to them, but we, we were very collaborative the whole time. And then we have a publisher which we actually um, were also hiring for at the time. There was a lot of turnover and it was a little bit of a rocky path there. Um, And so once we did get a publisher in place, um, we were sort of collaborating on, okay, what's the best path um, to take the magazine and and make it more profitable? So the editor-in-chief does like a little bit of everything. Ultimately, they are um, totally, um, there's like a line drawn between ads and editorial, but it's still important that those two parties um, talk and communicate about what's planning, um, what are the topics that are coming up so they can choose the edit, the advertisers that might be a good fit for those issues. Um, ultimately, they don't make decisions for each other, but there is some like conversations and collaboration. Okay. Okay. Then, so you, um, go ahead and manage a team of um, two other editors, um, a senior editor and associate editor. Um, and, and yeah, and then there was also Andy, a digital editor who was, um, he, he was also managing some digital stuff for other print magazines. So he was sort of on his own little island leading that digital team. So we're all working together, but that's sort of the structure. Yeah. Okay. So I, it's a lot of different hats all at once. And I think it's also important to note that, yes, it was incredible to be 23 and in this role, but there's also this idea of being the youngest in the office. It's something that I feel a lot too as being the youngest as in my department as well, that there's almost this sense of you don't know enough, which is really difficult. And I, I speak fully from my own personal experience that you, I always felt this sense of like, I need to prove myself in a way that I belong here. Um, Did you have any of those feelings? Absolutely. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is very real. Um, I always talked about it like Wednesdays, like Wednesdays would always be the day that I just felt like I was awful at my job and still do like still have those Wednesdays where I'm just like, wow, I, why am I in this job? I'm terrible at it. And then, you know, all the other days you're fine. 
Um, and it's really just like a, it's a temporary slump, but definitely um, all the time, especially before I officially got the position of editor-in-chief, I, but I was thinking of applying and really trying to put my foot out there. Um, and there was one member in the office and he's no longer there, but he, um, he came up to me and told me um, that I would be, he would like me a lot more if I smiled more. Um, and yeah, that's how the, that eye roll. <laughs> yeah. You can't see <laughs> my eyes are in the back of my head right now, guys. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I, I just had never, I, I'm relatively young. And so I hadn't experienced, and I hadn't been in that many workplaces. So I hadn't experienced some, some of that blatant, um, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can but just disrespect. I, I mean, disrespect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't really experienced that before. Uh, and I went to HR and he's no longer at the company, not because of that. Um, but, but you know, that there was a, there was a moment there where I was just thinking of walking out that door because it just felt all so overwhelming and I didn't feel like I was getting the support. Um, but I did after that moment, like everyone, it felt like a lot more people sort of rallied around me and respected me because I stood up for myself. And, you know, I said that, that wasn't okay and moved on and it was fine. But uh, that was sort of a turning point where I believed in myself a lot more because I felt like if I, you know, I could have just cried and walked out the door and been like, oh, wow, that really sucked. And like, I'll try to smile more. Like I could have actually said that to myself and t taken notes and been like, oh, smile more. <laughs> but I, I didn't, <laughs> although I do smile a lot. It's kind of ironic because I feel like I smile a lot as a person. So uh, that was whatever. just a dumb comment. People are just stupid, but <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, you know, to go through not just like learning all of the things that go along with this new role, but then also emotionally trying to manage this idea of being in this role, like that's, that really is a lot, but I would like to believe that the good did outweigh the bad. What were some of the greatest moments when you were in that role? Oh my gosh. Every magazine felt like the greatest moment. Like when, so, you know, after you put it to bed, you, you send it to the printer. It takes about two weeks to actually land on your desk. And the moment it lands on your desk, you're like, Oh my gosh, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like a baby. And that, yeah. And that was the moment every single month, like every cover felt um, even more amazing than the last amazing cover. And I still feel like that because I get it in the mail now and I still like text them and I'm like, oh my gosh, the cover looked amazing. Uh, and I, I, I just love that feeling. I mean, there's nothing that you can replace like from feeling those glossy like pages. Mm -hmm. I would say that our 50th anniversary issue was a particular um, highlight because it was monumental. I mean, it's huge that we've been around, that the magazine had been around for 50 years. Um, and we got to celebrate it a lot as well. We had a collaboration with a brewery and they, they brewed us a beer. I still have a can sitting on my shelf over here. It's not good. I would not recommend drinking it, <laughs> but I, like, I wrote the little label and I still stare at it. And I feel like very proud of like the words that ended up on a can. It's not even a magazine, but I just feel very proud of that whole, that whole experience and feel really proud of um, some of the friendships um, that I made there as well with some really incredible writers that taught me so much about being a leader and being a better writer. They've all made me so much better. So it made up for all the Wednesdays. Yeah. 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 Wednesdays. Wednesdays. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, okay. So you're, you were in this role for almost two years, give or take, right? So now you're not there anymore. What are you currently doing? Yeah. So two years is not that long to be editor in chief of a magazine. Um, I totally could have stayed for many more years. Um, but I got a really, uh, there was a really interesting opportunity posted, um, at a publication called Charlotte Agenda, um, which you, you probably know. Um, Michael Graff is the former editor-in-chief of Charlotte Magazine, and now he's at Charlotte Agenda. And um, he, uh, he very, uh, very lightly suggested perhaps I apply. Um, you know, he was, very he was giving me my space, so I thought about it for a long time. It actually took me two weeks to, to decide to apply um, because I loved the team at Charlotte Magazine so much. It was really a family, and they helped me through a lot and dealt with me being 23 and knowing nothing. Um, and believed in me. And so that was a really hard decision. I knew that if I applied, that meant that I would be ready to leave. And so until I felt ready to leave, sorry, I was getting a phone call. Um, until I felt ready to leave, um, I knew I couldn't apply. So it was actually, I took the whole Thanksgiving week off and just really like thought about it. I like walked along the beach, talked to my family. Um, and decided to apply mostly because I felt like the like journalism in general um, was going towards digital. And I was, uh, as much as I, I don't think Charlotte Magazine is at any risk of leaving us anytime soon, thank goodness. But I, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to get new skills in, in a field that I feel like is expanding, um, which is digital media. And with Charlotte Agenda, I could not only be a writer and an editor, I could also um, hone some social media skills and, and just grow with a company that's growing. Um, there, you know, there's only so many pages in a magazine, but there are you know, endless possibilities with the digital media company. Um, and in the position that I applied for, I had a really unique opportunity to both work with Michael on editorial side and really grow as a writer and an editor. And then also work with Ted Williams, who is the owner and founder and publisher of Charlotte Agenda. And so working with those two people has just been the most amazing experience so far. I've been there since January. Um, Ted is this genius modern media company person, very goofy guy, but also a total genius. I did not realize this before I started. So learning from him is, is, is teaching me like the know-how to actually run a full media company from not only the editorial perspective, but from like the whole, um, whole machine. And it's, we call our, we, we like to say that we're the HBO of local media or that that's at least what we're striving to be. So that's sort of what we're keeping in mind. Like we're different. And so having the creativity to just be like completely different and having no constraints of like, okay, we must fill 99 pages of a magazine or we must have a story. Like if it's not a good story, we just don't need to do it. Or, you know, if, if not much new happened, we just don't do that story. Um, so we just have so much more freedom and we're just growing. Like the, the fact that we're growing so much was really a huge deal for me in deciding to go over there. Uh, yeah. That's exciting. so exciting. No, seriously, because, you know, I think to take two weeks, there's a lot within those two weeks where it's like, I'm sure in your head, it was kind of this like tug of war of, am I ready? Do I want this? This is a good opportunity. And like you said, you had such a supportive group of people just advocating for you and who had really supported you this entire time that in a way, I'm sure that was hard as well to be like, 
bye guys, you know, but it was, oh it was it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah. I cried so, with almost everyone I told, uh, just cause I was like, I still want to be friends. Like, uh, I was only moving like, um, like my new office is a mile away. So I was like, don't forget about me. We can still <laughs> uh, go get lunch. Yeah. Um, but I just, I really do believe in magazines. And so I didn't want to, I just wanted to be sure that they were going to be okay. At that yeah. point, I wasn't sure if Andy was interested in becoming the executive editor. Thank goodness he was, um, because he is doing a phenomenal job, especially leading through this pandemic right now. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't be more happy for, for them. And I know that I made the right decision also. So it's good. Been, it's been really incredible. And that's what matters, right? Is at the end of the day, like, you know, that you did the best thing for you and for your career. Um, and I, I would agree with you too, of it's digital offers something different than print, which is okay. It's just kind of two different worlds in a way. What for you has been like the, the best experience being in this different like phase of journalism? Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Um, I feel like Charlotte Agenda, uh, we started five years ago. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary in March. Oh, I didn't um, realize it was that oh, new. Yeah. So with that, I'm really getting on, I'm really getting in on the ground level still. Um, for those first four years, they were almost 100% lifestyle, even bloggy at, at times, very, um, but just very lifestyle focused. And then they hired Katie Peralta and Michael Graff to come in last year um, to really start spearheading more news, which is really needed in Charlotte right now. I mean, the a lot of publications have been trimming back staffs and cutting back resources or furloughing um, copy editors or, or just straight up laying off copy editors. Um, and so the city, I think, deserved better. Um, and I mean, we're doing the best we can. I think that we are, we are doing phenomenal, especially during um, this pandemic. I couldn't imagine being a part of any other team. Katie Peralta has been amazing during the pandemic. And we just hired a new reporter, um, Paige Hopkins, who came from a TV station in Greenville, South Carolina. And she's been also amazing on the news front. Um, so for me, coming from also lifestyle, it has been so great to learn from some news pros uh, in expanding some of my skills. Selfishly, when I decided to apply, I just thought, oh, you know, these will be some really great skills to learn for my next opportunity. But now I'm seeing that this is like where I should be uh, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Ted has given me a lot of flexibility and some um, some really good opportunities to take on um, some more operational management stuff that I enjoy doing. Um, so I've been really leading some of the production. Um, Michael is actually on um, paternity leave. So I've been uh, doing a lot um, on that side. I'm really excited he's coming back next week. So it's going to be really great to have the whole team together, even though we're not together because it's a pandemic, but you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's been being as somebody in my 20s too, I think one of the biggest things that I want for now are those mentors and are those leaders. And, you know, in the role that you were in at Charlotte Magazine, not that you didn't have those by any means, but when you're kind of the one at the top, in a way you serve as that role. 
as mentor. Um, and, but for you, I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth by any means, but I could imagine that this is a really unique and very cool situation for you to be in, to go from, it, I don't, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but like being, going from teacher to student again, in a way of now you're learning all these new skills from all these incredible people. Well, I would say that the people at Charlotte Magazine definitely taught me a lot, mm -hmm. but I also felt like I couldn't always ask for help because yeah. I was, because of this like weird title and higher yeah. course hierarchy kind of thing. Um, and I wanted to like come off as the expert, even though I was very young and inexperienced. Um, but I wanted to know everything I could know and be proficient enough to lead a team. So I didn't want to like let on if I was not sure. So I, I had a hard time asking questions. Um, but with this, you're right. I have two mentors now, um, not just one, but two. Uh, it's, it's rare in media too, because so many of the older individuals in media, um, they've been, they've taken early retirement deals or, you know, they, they got out of media. Um, so having two, two people that I trust that are so experienced and I can learn from every single day has been tremendous opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So break down your role right now as managing editor for, for those of us who have no idea what that is, what do you do yeah. now? What's your day to day? So, um, the Charlotte agenda, we send out um, a newsletter every morning at 6am and that's really like our, um, our main product that, uh, I feel like is the thing that we do best, mm -hmm. um, is our newsletter. Um, it's, it's, uh, it goes from everything from news to one big story, one big feature story a day to talking points from other publications around the city so that we know we can't do it all. We're a small team. So we want to share the news that from other publications that we think um, are, are doing a good job at telling the story of the city and that our readers would find interesting. Um, so we share photos, we share um, conclusions. So every day I, um, right now I'm working with Ted, but actually I, I'll be, um, I'm sort of still in transition since I've only been there since January, but I'll be um, sending out sorry, guidelines for creating those um, newsletters. So basically I'm doing programming, planning, what I did for the magazine on a monthly basis, now on a daily basis. So I plan out what our programming is going to be um, sort of a, in a daily, uh, you know, for daily newsletters, but then also for um, a couple weeks out of stories for, for our website. Um, that also includes planning for our Instagram account, which is probably where the most people see us. Um, definitely where the most people see us. Um, but you know, for listeners, if they know us from somewhere, it's probably Instagram. Um, our Instagram is primarily lifestyle and food and drink and restaurants. Um, this pandemic has posed some interesting challenges for yeah. that Instagram. Uh, I am so tired of photographing tape boxes. <laughs> um, but, but we also, we treat it as the front page of the city. So we're sharing news there as well. And so I work with, I mean, all of this stuff we all contribute to, but sort of my, my primary role is to organize our programming planning and to guide where that should go. Michael is still the editor in chief over all the editorial work. So he sort of takes the lead on um, conceptual planning, editing, um, leadership, as far as what are we covering? What, what should we cover? Um, and then I sort of focus more on the nitty gritty, like planning it all out. Um, okay. Pay people too. Like I pay freelancers. Like I, I do like the, um, the day to day man, like organizational 
work. And then I'm also reporting. I, I write probably two stories, both usually, uh, so like I write two stories and two newsletters usually a week, sometimes only one. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's sort of my, my week to week. I do a lot of Instagram photographing as well. So I'm sort of all over the place. That's cool though, because I feel like you kind of get to work different skills, whether it's photos or writing or editing or organizing. That's a nice, like, I don't know, it's a like a good holistic overview of your skill set too. It's nice because when I get tired of writing, because that happens, like you have writer's block, I can like go check something off my list from Instagram that I need to do. Yeah. So I can go out to a restaurant and take some photos and, and that's a nice little break. Um, yeah. 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 So let's so talk. It's, it's a balance. I, I, good, good. That's, that's awesome. And I, I feel like, I don't know what a cool way to just exercise all of those different muscles. You yeah. Know? Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the, the most rewarding or the most influential stories that you have written since being in Charlotte. I know there are a few that you and I have spoken about um, privately, but what to you are some of like those top, whether that was investigative journalism um, or whatever for you it was, what were some of the top stories that you've written? That's tough. Um, I would say my biggest like the story that I wrote when I was still um, not even full-time at Charlotte Magazine, but it, it really affected me, um, was I wrote about a town um, east of here, Lumberton, out in um, Robson County. And I wrote about uh, a one year after Hurricane Matthew hit. Um, they're not on the coast, so they're often um, forgotten when thinking of hurricane um, hurricane recovery. Um, they're just low, uh, the elevations is very low and they're along a big river. Um, so they often flood and it's also a very low income area. Uh, they have a third of the population, um, is native American, uh, Lumbee Indian. Um, and so they're, they're just off forgotten about it. and there are, you know, Lumberton's only two hours east of here. And so, I knew a friend that lived there and I went out there and interviewed people. I spent probably five or six weekends out there and met a really incredible woman named Angela. And I followed her, her path from um, sleeping in a tent after the hurricane um, to getting a motel to then getting an apartment. Um, and then I was there when she got to move in and brought a photographer. It was a really incredible moment. Um, every time after I would get done talking with her, which she loved to talk and I loved to listen. And so we would talk for five hours, but those five hours were, were draining on my, uh, like emotion. So I just would remember sitting in the car after talking to her and like crying for like 20 straight minutes afterwards. Cause I was holding it all in, like listening to her story. She'd been through a lot in her life, uh, 40 years and like lived 80 lives. Yeah. Um, and, and we still, we still talk every now and then, um, she uh, is still hit with hurricane like every year. It happens every year. Um, but it was uh, definitely the most, the story affected me the most and I think really shaped the type of journalist I want to be, which is always just a uh, folk. She, she would have not let me talk over her. So she really taught me how to listen early on in my career. And that was the first long form story I've ever, ever written. And it's still the one I'm most proud of. That's funny. I was actually just going to ask you, is that one of your first long form pieces you wrote for Charlotte magazine? I remember reading that one in my internship because 
at the time I was still at UNCW. And so mm-hmm. we were um, sent home for those few weeks and you're right. They mm-hmm. got hit with um, either one or two more hurricanes since that one that has evacuated yeah. the city as well. Um, but no, I remember reading about that because I would always drive past um, Lumberton on my way to school. And it is, it's kind of this community that you, I just saw the exit for. I never went to it. And unfortunately, there are actually a lot of communities like that. Navassa is another one leading up to Wilmington that, you know, just they, they don't get the attention that they need um, for various reasons, you know, whether I know there was a water issue in Navassa, like there's a ton of stuff that people just, we don't know about in the way that we know about the bigger cities. Well, and also when a hurricane hits, you think of the coast, you don't think of a town an hour and a half inland. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just not, I mean, I think it does kind of comes down to like, you know, TV news, they rush out to the, the coast to cover a hurricane when some of the hardest hit areas are actually these low lying um, rural communities in North Carolina. And, you know, I, th- I think for you to even mention on like the emotional effect that that had on you is important because I think unfortunately journalists get bad reps for kind of being like desensitized or even. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know the right word necessarily for it, but I think for you to still have had that emotional experience is important to share because you are reporting on people's lives. And when you are tapping into people's lives and the way, you know, the amount of time that you spent with these people, of course you get connected to them in a way that many of us do not have that ability to do so. But I, I can still remember that piece. And I still remember thinking that that emotion was like clearly there. Um, which is, I think that that's like the beauty of future, of feature stories too, is being able to, to still express that humanistic side. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not writing like a hard hitting political piece here. I'm a human being and I, it's okay for me to express an emotion, um, an emotion that hurricanes suck, you know, like yeah. everyone, that's not a controversial opinion. Like we all will feel for Angela. Um, in the situation. And I felt that way when I was covering this, when I've been covering this pandemic too, I talked to a restaurant owner who called me, who were speaking that day after she had just laid off, she went from a staff of 95 or 85 to 10. She had laid off like almost all of her staff and she cried on the phone and I cried too. Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't control it. You know, you, you're a human being and I'm an impartial journalists as much as I can be, but we all have biases. Like we're all going to feel emotions if something is just wrecking our, a community. Exactly. And I imagine for you in a way, it's, it, it helps people open up to you a little bit more when you can express that, like, you're not just this person writing the story. Like you're a human who of course is going to be able to either empathize or sympathize with the situation that they're going through. Yeah. Uh, that is, that definitely happens sometimes, but it's absolutely not my strategy. It is just me like not being able to control my tears sometimes because I get very emotional. No, but that's okay. Right? Like, I don't know. I would rather talk to somebody like you than somebody who is just like, I don't know, like an emotionless brick wall. I feel like that's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk to that. Sometimes I, I don't know if I'm doing it right though. Like I never had a journalism class in my life. And so you know, I see these like movies of journalists and they're so like serious and um, I, I try to be authentic um, and, you know, if they want to know about me, I'll tell them about me. I, you know, right. my, my, my purpose is to listen to them, but, you know, if they have questions about me, I, I don't have any problem being my true self. Yeah. Yeah. So what has it been like for you covering this pandemic? 
um, it's been hard. Uh, I'm so used to bouncing around town and um, interviewing people in person. And I feel like writing a story when you, you can't see someone or you can't feel uh, an environment is a lot harder than, um, than going out and about and getting inspired and you know, listening to how, how a building sounds or, uh, or, or like what the motion on their face, like, I can't see that or hear that. I just, I don't have any other senses besides over the phone or, or zoom sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's been the hardest part for me is just coming from a magazine background where it's, everything is so detail oriented and you really want to paint a scene to now where there's no scene to paint besides my apartment. So I, you know, I try to get out and about and go for walks and just sort of take in the community. But it's, that's definitely been the biggest challenge is just uh, feeling inspired in the same way to write stories without actually seeing the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so to, to pivot a little bit, what has been the biggest mistake that you've made in your career? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Um, I should have prepared <laughs> or even like the biggest failure, like the biggest, Oh shit moment that you've had. Oh shit moments. I mean, I, I've made plenty of typos <laughs> that that's always an Oh shit moment. <laughs> and I would say that sometimes when I was starting out, I didn't know what I was doing. So there was, there was a couple of times where I would accept a pitch and just because I needed, I needed words to fill up the magazine because I had very little staff in the beginning before we got back to a full staff. Um, so I would just accept pitches and, and then I would have to break the news that like they, these didn't pan out. Um, those were some really hard conversations. And so I wish at least then I had sort of slowed down a little bit and realized that, you know, this is not like life or death. Like you don't need to rush to these decisions. That's been one thing that I've really learned. Um, I don't know. That's really tough. Uh, biggest mistake. So I have to get back to you on that. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. So on the other side of that, what's been the biggest accomplishment so far? Uh, biggest accomplishment. Um, well, I was, I, I couldn't have imagined becoming editor in chief um, and then leaving like that. That was insane to me. This is my dream job. Why, why did I leave? Um, but I, I do feel like that was a huge accomplishment of my life and getting the opportunity to then take that to the next level and learn even more skills and still in Charlotte. Like I did not realize that there would be another journalism opportunity for me in Charlotte. I thought that once Charlotte magazine had run its course, I would have to leave Charlotte. I did not see another path in the beginning. Um, and then with the way that Charlotte agenda has just been um, expanding its coverage, um, it really provided a unique opportunity. I feel like that that's one of my biggest accomplishments was um, reaching what I thought was my dream job and really was, and then finding another opportunity past that point. Um, as far as stories go, um, one of my biggest accomplishments is probably um, the Eat, Work, Play uh, investigative piece that I wrote. Um, that, that has been uh, by far the most uh, interesting story to cover over the past. I've been covering that since October. I might be done. Um, I've written a, a couple of follow-ups, including one a couple weeks ago. Um, so that, that has probably been my biggest, um, investigative, my only investigative journalism, um, accomplishment, probably the story I'm most proud of. 
So we actually, we have a lot of listeners who are not based in Charlotte. Would you mind breaking that story down a little bit for all of us? There's a lot to break down. Um, Give us the spark notes. I'll set the scene scene first. Okay. So I am traveling. I am in Panama City, Panama, um, in a hostel room on my laptop when I see that um, a local lifestyle publication called eWork Play has postponed its annual gala event. Um, It was Willy Wonka themed. Um, They postponed that gala and they had said that ticket refunds would not be offered. And they were postponing it for about six months. And they were postponing it one week, less than a week in advance. Um, So it was very short notice for some of the attendees. So obviously the attendees were going to be um, a little frustrated, especially with no refunds being offered. So seeing all that on social media, I thought there could be a story here. I had um, I had heard some things in the past about about the organization. It's a basically a lifestyle website, and then they do some events as well. Um, and they also have a, a, a quite a following on Instagram. So they're a pretty big, um, uh, sort of in that lifestyle bloggy territory um, in Charlotte. Um, very local, but they were working on expanding to other cities. So you may have even heard of them if you're not in Charlotte. Um, and so I started looking around. I was really just going to do a story, um, perhaps, that it was postponed, and that was going to be the story. Um, but I decided to reach out to a couple of people from their gala the year before. It is an annual gala event. This was supposed to be the second annual one. So I reached out. Um, it had been a charity gala. So I reached out to the charity that was involved and had um, received $10,000. And I just wanted to confirm. I just was sort of reaching out to everyone, asking, what was your experience last year? I had heard a couple things, and I just wanted to verify before I wrote you know, these are charity galas, that they were in fact charity galas. And um, turns out they had received zero dollars and in fact had lost money by participating. So this nonprofit, which works, um, it's been a while, um, but it was called Safe Smart. Um, and they, I believe they were providing like educational material for um, children in Charlotte. Um, they're doing some really great things and they had been promised $10,000 and had been advertised and promoted on the media that they had received $10,000. And they had, in fact, never received a penny um, from Eat, Work, Play. And, um, you know, you can tell that also in their um, nonprofit um, documentation that I um, checked. And so after that, I decided to go back through all the other events that Eat, Work, Play had held over the years. Um, Most of them had been benefiting a nonprofit or they had been advertised as a charity event, charity mixers, networking events, all had sort of like a beneficiary. And I checked with all of those nonprofits. There was only like seven events, um, and six of the seven had never received a penny. Um, one was based in Maryland and didn't tell me how much they had received, but they had received something. Um, so at that point, I noticed that this was a pattern. Um, it wasn't just one time. Um, so I decided to write a story about it. I, um, the, the founder of eWorkPlay, his name is Devon, and so I talked to him on the phone a couple of times. Um, and you know, he didn't, he didn't deny any of this. Um, and so I wrote the story. It um, kind of exploded. And at this point, I've written a couple updates now. Uh, and there are, oh man, I don't want to mess it up. But I want to say that there are about 20 to 25 complaints against him in the, um, oh, what is that? Uh, Attorney General's office. Um, and the attorney general's office has confirmed that the FBI is looking into it based on lack of refunds and some other programs that ended up, um, not, uh, fulfilling on promises. There was also a lawsuit, um, where he didn't pay vendor bills. 
um, a lot of other things that just sort of like came up once I wrote one piece, they just sort of all continued to come out. Um, most recently during this pandemic, um, one of his Instagram accounts was changed to an Instagram account for uh, face masks and gloves that, um, that were being sold. So I did some digging on that website and the receipts matched up with um, what he had used in the past. Um, and it was owned by, um, by him uh, or it was owned by his company. He's the only employee at this moment, as far as I can tell. Um, so I wrote an update. Um, I actually ordered the mask to see if it would arrive and it never did. Um, so uh, that now I, uh, is another chapter to the whole story. Um, so we'll see how this all plays out. I really don't know. I didn't, I uh, went in writing thinking I was going to write about a postponed event, um, which is a very, very minor story. Um, and it ended up spiraling quite a bit. <laughs> but was he willing to talk to you? Uh, yeah, we, we talked a few times in the beginning. Um, I haven't heard from him recently uh, after this last um, story uh, with the with the face mask. But um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we talk on the cell phone every once in a while. Um, it's been a little bit now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's a major piece, especially you said that was your first investigative. Yeah, first investigative. Very Quite active. a big piece, my friend. <laughs> Definitely investigative. Like I said, I did not intend on this being this huge thing. Um, I was on vacation. I was trying to enjoy my vacation, which didn't happen, but I don't regret it. It was, it was, a, it was a really interesting piece to write, and I'm glad that other people found it as interesting as I did. Um, people are still asking for updates, so we'll see. To be continued. That's awesome. I mean, it's horrible what has happened, but it's awesome that like you had this opportunity and you dug to get the story. Well, and some of those people now that they have um, filed complaints have received refunds. So that that's a bright side there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what advice would you offer um, for anybody who's looking to break into the journalism industry? Oh, well, I would say cold emails never hurt. I love a well-written email in my inbox. Like I, I try to respond to all um, to college students that sometimes reach out because I remember how amazing that was when someone re like emailed me back. I would say just try to reach out with no um, no strings attached. Just try to talk to people in cities that you might want to. You know, if you're in the progress of being in college and you want to move somewhere, reach out to the journalists you like in that city and don't be like, I'm looking for a job. Just say, hey, your work really inspires me. I'd love to just talk about your path um, because that's, that, that's, I mean, we all like talking about ourselves and we like listening to other people's stories. Um, so as, if you go in not having any expectations, I think that's a really good way to just expand your network and maybe make some friends in the process. I've made uh, amazing friends with the people at Charlotte Magazine that I originally cold emailed. Um, so don't be scared to do that. Uh, if they don't, the worst thing that happens is they don't respond and you, you know, spend half an hour or an hour typing up an email. That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is they email you back and maybe offer some work here and there, or maybe they keep you in mind for a position later down the line. I would also say just read as much as you can. Um, there are some really great resources like the Sunday long read, um, it's really great. It's a newsletter that comes to your inbox every Sunday with um, some really great long form stories uh, or just follow some people on Twitter that you like to read their words and just keep just keep reading and learning new skills. And yeah, I like what you said to reach out to the writers that you like and express like your 
um, your interest or, you know, the way that you're impressed by their writing. Cause I think there is something that I've heard a lot recently and something that I heard, you know, when I was in this position of just graduating was don't ask to pick somebody's brain. Yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah. And I, would, I, would you agree with it? I, I think that some people uh, might preach that a little bit too much. Um, but I also get the feeling of being overwhelmed with people that want to just take from you and not give anything back. I think that, you know, there has to be a two way street. So, but sometimes like there are days that I really, I like, I feel like there's always a return on an, on investment, like in time when you're talking to a young journalist or, or someone who's aspiring to become a journalist, because you never know down the line, like you might need someone that's exactly what their skills have to offer. Um, or you might really need, you know, fact checking help or, or honestly, any email just saying, wow, I really like what you're doing is a compliment. Like I take anyone reaching out to me, even if I don't have the time to personally reach back out to them, like that's a huge compliment that they took the time to write an email. Um, so I, I don't get offended by the whole like pick your brain thing as much as other people do, but I definitely see the argument there that there's only so much time in the day. And at a certain point, you're, you turn into a consultant. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely um, some valid points to that, but I, I would say the worst thing that happens is someone says no. Yeah. Or just doesn't respond and like, do your feelings get hurt? Maybe for three seconds, but everything will be okay. Absolutely. Send out like 10 emails. You'll get a couple back and those people will actually um, have a little bit of time to talk to you maybe. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and transition. We've got a few listener questions. Okay. I don't know if you've seen these yet on the document and they're, they're really good. So I'm excited to, I'm excited to hear your responses to them. So the first one is what do you do when you are experiencing writer's block? Oh gosh, I cry. No. Uh, <laughs> um, I procrastinate when I'm experienced writer's block for sure. Um, I'll like pet my cat a lot. Uh, I'll, I, write the best in the mornings. So sometimes when I'm experiencing writer's block, I just acknowledge that it sucks and I move on and like try to be productive in other things and come back to it later. And I don't try to like force it. Um, obviously, you know, if, if it's time crunch, you have to force it. But in an ideal world, if I'm experiencing writer's block and I hit a wall, I wait until the next morning and start fresh. And I wake up and even in quarantine, like I'll get dressed and I'll put on, or I'll put on a pot of coffee and try to start again. Um, or I, or go for a walk, something like that. If, if time's a, if time's an issue and I'm experiencing writer's block, I just try to clear my head and then come back at it. But there really is no magic cure. It sucks. It happens. <laughs> and everybody experiences it too, which there's like a comfort in that. I feel yeah. like, you know, yeah. I okay. also call, I, I also sometimes just call a coworker and say, Hey, I'm experiencing writer's block Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. talk through the idea with them. Sometimes they might say something that sparks inspiration again, and that helps. All right. So the second question, how are you staying creative during quarantine? Staying creative. Um, hmm. This has definitely been a challenge. I would say I have um, looked out the window a lot. I actually am, I just ordered a new desk. I know that this sounds weird, but I just ordered a new desk that like is on wheels and it rolls around. And so I can put it right by my window and looking outside is really inspiring to me, even like cracking the window a little bit, uh, just sort of re, uh, 
moving some things around to have like a fresh thing to look at. Even when I live in a 700 square foot studio apartment, um, it's nice to just have a new piece of scenery. Um, so that's been something I've been doing because I was feeling a little less creative lately. Um, so I went out and bought this little wheelie desk. Um, other things, just going for a walk, uh, getting takeout from a new restaurant. I love to eat out. Um, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. I think we're all doing our best Yeah, every day. It's like a new challenge in a way, but yeah, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm really excited that this question was asked because I feel like you are the perfect person for this. When do you know when it's time to make a job transition? Oh, that's hard. Um, I made a really long pro con list. I feel like you never fully know. Uh, but when you feel confident to make a leap and you feel confident that the company that you'd be making a leap toward is, is worth it. Um, which I felt like that in this, um, position, um, then it's time. Um, there's really no magic answer here, but you just got to trust your gut. I spent so much time trying to be analytic about it, but ultimately I had to just go with my heart on that one. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I think your gut gives you the, the like green light or the red light when I feel like, you know, when you know, you know, um, when your brain is like convincing you to do something, you should just like kind of trust it over time. Like give yourself a few days. And if you're still thinking, yes, 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 do it, then do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm sure, you know, we still have to think there, you're definitely still going to be scared. It's not like those feelings will go away, but I think when your, your instincts are saying to go for it, you know, that only good things can really truly come from it. And if not, you learn a lesson and you move on. And I would also say like, talk to people that you trust, especially people that are in your industry. So even if you're not in journalism, just try to talk to a mentor and ask what they would do. I mean, they can't make the decision for you, but if they feel good about this opportunity and they're encouraged, um, then you should go for it. In this case, Michael Graff, having him come like say, I think, you know, this, this could be really good for you. Um, you know, I'm not trying to push you or pressure you to do this, but knowing that he was there and knowing that he liked working there at Charlotte Agenda, that made me feel a lot more encouraged to go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so where do you think the future of journalism is going? Ooh, um, well, I think right now we're in a really unique time where there's never been, or at least not um, since the last crisis, there's never been quite a demand for good journalism as there is right now. There is so important to get accurate information out there in an easy to read formats like people people need to get the news but they don't want to spend all day trying to find every little piece of news that that's bad for your mental health i i try to tune out the news as much as i can yes, and i'm journalist uh so i think that right now there is such a tremendous need for good journalism and journalists are obviously ri rising to that occasion there is so many talented people out there i'm um, doing really important things in charlotte and beyond um, but the sad thing is, is that revenue is down for almost all publications, including our own, you know, we'll be fine. We'll weather the storm. We'll be okay. Um, there won't be layoffs at our company. I'm so fortunate. Oh, um, I know that. Yeah. Um, but, but journalism is going to struggle from this. Um, so that's the really sad disparity right there is that, you know, less people are probably going to be buying print advertisements. 
Um, but more people are going to want to read the news. Mm -hmm. So finding out new ways to get revenue that aren't just based on advertising is going to be really important. I think like subscriptions. Um, I think that, uh, with newspapers, uh, scaling back some print delivery. I, I don't think that that's a bad idea, but I do think that readers need to feel like they are supporting something and they get something in return if they're going to put money towards. So Charlotte Agenda is completely free, but a, we, we've had a membership program for a little bit, um, but it's basically um, where people will donate money and then they support us and they get access to some events once events can happen again. Um, but, but essentially it's a donation. Essentially they are just saying, Hey, I like the product. I know I don't have to pay a penny for it, but I'm going to anyway. So we, we just did that. We just did a whole new membership drive during the coronavirus, um, just to be, just to sort of see, um, what's the support out there. Uh, and it blew us away. I'm, it, I, so I get an email every single time someone became, becomes a member and I had to like turn off my email. It was going nuts. I cannot remember exactly how many new members we got, but it, I think it was close to like 400. And before that we had less than a thousand, close to a thousand. So we, we like almost, I, don't, I can't do math. I'm a dream. I know. But, you know, it, it was a lot. <laughs> um, it was just, it was a boost of confidence, but it was also a realization that while the agenda relies on advertising for almost all of its, all of us, you know, that that's what our revenue model is, is advertising based, but we're expanding this other side of reader driven and that shows that that tells advertisers that we're valued. And it also tells us that readers enjoy reading what we do. And it it's a good um, guiding light to always think about those readers because that that's that's our that's our boss. That's our ultimate boss is the reader. Um, you know, we, we want to provide important news for them. So um, a reader driven um, model in, in conjunction with advertising, I think is, is really smart. I think you're gonna see more nonprofit um, media companies coming up. Um, you've already started, we've already started to see that. And I think we're gonna see a lot more um, local digital companies like the agenda as well. Um, there isn't really anything like the Charlotte agenda. I, we, you know, we're, we're, uh, The where else it exists is very small. So we're a small subsect, but I think you're going to see it grow and you're going to see other Charlotte agenda type things um, in the future. I don't think that any of the other publications are totally going to go away, but I definitely think you're going to start seeing some um, new creative HBO-esque models of media. So, yeah. Totally. Okay. So this question wasn't asked by a listener. This is just a question I have for you, and this is what we'll end on. What are some of the skills that you think are imperative for a journalist to have? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think creativity, uh, and inquisitive, like being inquisitive. Um, and I think that those kind of go hand in hand. Like you have to think about a story in a creative way when you work for, um, you know, when you work for a newspaper, you're very much focused on the traditional way of reporting, which is, you know, just getting every story, um, that's important to this community. But for us, we're a small team, so we really have to choose our stories carefully. Um, and I think that that should apply to all journalists. You have to choose your stories very carefully. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, filling up a, a paper or a magazine is, should outweigh a good story. Like, you know, the story has to be really good. So thinking about a topic in a creative way that other journalists haven't, that's really important. And that, that goes to being, um, to asking really good questions and being inquisitive. Those are two. Uh, I would say that you, hmm, you have to, 
you have to be pretty hardworking. Um, journalism schedules can be a little rough sometimes. Um, they're not nine to five positions. Some, some are, I guess. Um, I've never had one. Um, <laughs> but, but they also have flexibility. Like I, I'm not saying that I work nonstop, but sometimes, you know, my work might go till 8 p.m., but then I you know, sleep in the next day or, or something like that. You just have to have a lot of flexibility. And I think that for a job like this, it really has to be your passion. And it can't just, you can't just see it as like a career. It has to be something that you're, you're truly passionate about and you believe in telling the truth and, and holding the important, holding people accountable for their actions. And you have to believe in all those tenets of ethical journalism and telling the truth and doing no harm and um, all that, all that kind of stuff. You have to really, you have to believe it. It, it can't just be a random career. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And I even think too, so much of what you just said, I just think are really awesome qualities to have as just a professional in general. But that passion I think is so, that piece is so powerful because if you, if you're lacking that, especially in journalism, you can always tell by the writer's voice, you know what I mean? So I think I don't know. I, I completely agree with you. And I think even from the reader's perspective, those are all things that we, we want to consume pieces by people like that. And I, so I, I do, I agree with what you said a hundred percent. The journalism is a necessary part of a, of any democracy, uh, a free press. Um, so there's a special uh, responsibility there, um, which can be a little overwhelming at times, but it, it also makes it one of the most rewarding jobs out there. In my opinion, I would not want to do anything else. Oh, I love that. And I'm so happy for you. And I'm so proud of you. And it's just been like, so, I'm so cool. proud of you. Oh, thanks. It's been so cool to just like, see, like when I met you, you were the associate editor and I think you had like just gotten that job. So yeah. it's so cool to see like every few, every so often it's like, Oh, she got a new job. Like, Oh, she moved up. So it's, it's awesome. And I'm, I'm proud of you. I think you're doing awesome, awesome work. Thank you. I'm blushing. You're oh, the best. Oh my God. <laughs> well, so for people who want to stay in contact with you, want to connect with you or want to read your work, where can they find you? Um, they can go to charlotteagenda.com. Um, my name, Emma Way. You, you can just see it in the bylines. It's there. You can click on my name, see what the other stuff. Um, my email address is emma at charlotteagenda.com. If people want to reach out or if they're interested in a career in journalism. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it. That's the best way to reach me. Awesome. And guys, all that will be in the show notes. When you reach out, don't ask to pick her brain because we did talk about it on the show. Ask something a little bit more creative. Um, but other than that, thank you so much for coming on. It was really awesome to just see you and chat and catch up. And I know these guys are really going to benefit from everything that you've said and everything that you're doing. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I love everything you're doing too. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks, friends. <laughs>